Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health, broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Ben Better. How about you? I'm your host, Katie Nara. And today we have Elizabeth Gilpin joining us. Hello. Did I say your last name right? You did. Oh, good, good. Elizabeth Gilpin is an actress, writer, and producer, and she starred in and produced Lifeboat, a short film directed by Lorraine Nicholson, which premiered at the 2017 Tribeca Film Festival. The film was nominated for the Grand Jury Prize for Live Action Short Film at the AFI Festival and won the Audience Award at the Napa Valley Film Festival. Stolen, her first book, was released last July, and she splits her time between Los Angeles and Nashville. Hello, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. How are you? I am good. What about yourself? I was hungry. Now I'm not. So that's good. So I feel like... <laughs> um, so you're an actress, writer, and producer. I am. I feel like at this point, the writer part should probably come first. But, you know... Well, I. it's funny. I wanted to ask you, what do you like? Which role do you find most fulfilling? Oh, Lord. Well, let's see. You know, I feel like a lot of writers actually have said this, that while you're writing, you it's kind of, it can be pretty miserable, honestly. Yeah. Uh, just very isolating. Obviously, you have days where it just flows and you are where you love it. You're like, oh, my God, I love this. I got my, you know, I got my pep in my step back. I'm rolling. And then it's like two weeks and you're not inspired and can't you just can't write anything. So. Mm-hmm. Writing when you are done is extremely rewarding, but when you are doing it, it is uh, very challenging. Yeah. Um, So I find acting and producing when you are, you know, currently, like when you're doing them, it's a little more tangible and I don't know, it can be more fun, especially if it's a role you like or producing is so hands-on. Right. Uh, But writing, it's, I mean, stolen was a many, many year. I had never done it before. And I was like, wow, this is real. What did you hold back from? If you don't mind me asking, like in the oh, first draft. Oh God, what didn't I hold back from? Um, <laughs> everything. We're going to get stolen part two here today. Yeah, I'm, I'm like everything. But um, when it came to my personal feelings about not only myself, but other people in the book, whether they were positive or negative at the time, like if I was mad at someone in the book, okay. I didn't, at at first I would leave that out and only say, you know, the positive things about them. But the reality is in an experience like that, it wasn't all positive and you don't love everyone at every minute. And at any moment you or they are going to turn on you because they have to and it's survival. But with that was a roller coaster of emotions and feelings. Like there were days where I hated my parents or hated this classmate and it wasn't, It wasn't, I look back now and hate as an adult is not the word, but as a child, like I was so full of anger. So I think I held back because looking back at how angry I was as a child, 
and judgmental of other people, all of it um, was really hard to see. Yes, but I have to say, I, I read your book and it reminded me a lot of myself. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I, I think when you are, um, when you feel things really deeply or there was, there was, I mean, I have so many quotes from your book here, but there was something, oh, most of my life, I've had a morbid side. I've managed to keep hidden under soccer uniforms and perfectly selected outfits. I was like, this is me. Yeah, I like in like my that's... school uniform. And then, you know, I was thrown out of school and I just felt very misunderstood. Yeah. So, but can you tell for listeners just, I mean, I wrote like, how is she going to tell a quick synopsis? But oh, know, just like, about Stolen or what, just for people listening that are like, wait, I don't know what this book is about or what. Yeah. So Stolen before is. Before we go on. Yeah. You know? um, the shortened version is, I guess <laughs> I was quite literally stolen from my bed um, by the hired escorts that we hear so many people's stories now where this has happened to them. Um, I didn't know where I was going. I was taken to the Appalachian Mountains for over three months. So I didn't shower. I was eating cold beans and rice, like using the bathroom in a hole. Right. It was disgusting. Um, hiking in the middle of the night, hiking in circles for days on end. And they were doing all these psychological, mental things. I mean, honestly, to torture us. But what they were doing was testing us, trying to get reactions, trying to get, you know, and what we were supposed to do there was like divulge all of our secrets and write our life story and mm -hmm. cop to all the drugs we had done and all these things we had done. And I was a virgin and I'd never done cocaine and I had smoked pot a few times. So yeah, there's that the part where the one's like, well, what drugs are you on? And you say none. You're, and she's like, well, we'll see. Yeah. yeah and and, and they like, don't no. believe you. Yeah. And, and so at one, one point <laughs> they were like separated me and put me in like the woods version of isolation. And they're like, well, you're going to stay here and like be separated from the group and not be allowed to talk to anyone until you write the truth. Cause there's no way you haven't had sex. And, you know, so I just became who they this, wanted me to be. I was like, whoever you think I am, I'll just say I'm that person. Right. And I just, started this making is, up things I had done that I had never done. And that, and it wasn't until I did that, that they were like, okay, you know, you're, you're changing, you're making progress. And I was like, wow, this is you mean, It wasn't until you started lying to them. Yeah, lying, making myself worse. Because in their mind, they had an idea of who I was. Mm -hmm. That if I was drinking, I must be fucking. If I mm -hmm. was screaming, like I must be on drugs. Like they were, everything that was wrong with me had to be some catastrophic thing that involved sex, drugs, and rock and roll, mm -hmm. when the reality was I was just depressed. So this whole book is about, from there, the same transporters took me yes. to a school um, that operated like a, a youth prison. And they verbally, physically, mentally abused us. They forced the peers to abuse each other, the staff. It was just any way you spent it. It was abusive. Absolutely. It was evil. And I think the worst part is, is that they made kids, made them like, because if you did not listen, you were going to a psych ward, you were going to a lockdown till you were 21, or you were going back to the woods for three months or a month. And then you were going to have to come back to the school for six more months. So you either conform or you just stay there for ever. And the worst possible punishment is having to stay there. So you end up abusing your classmates and saying terrible things. And when I look back now, that is that when I was having to get honest in the book, looking back at what I was forced to say to people or what they were forced to say to me, that 
was the worst part because, I mean, the reality is, is you lose a lot of kids. I've lost a lot of classmates for various reasons. Mm -hmm. And at this point, I've spoken to many people who have been to these programs and they've lost a lot of classmates as well. How many people were there when you were there? I don't even remember the exact number, like okay. 150. Right, right. Okay. Um, I can't. I don't even know if I ever knew the exact number. Right. We didn't That's, have internet. We didn't have anything. Yeah. So we didn't have grades either. So it was like a 14-year-old and a 21-year-old, or not 21, like a 19-year-old. Teenagers though, right? Well, there was like two 19-year-olds there. Okay. One girl was there. Her parents made a deal with her. You can like get your trust fund if you go to the school. Okay, so she could have left. She could have, but she stayed for that. There were, or there were a few people that turned 18 there. And oh, the way they got you to stay, if you ran, and I know it actually happened because the guy that I have a crush on in the book ran, <laughs> they take your school credits. So if you run away, all that schooling, because you were in school there, all those credits that you were going to your own school to get, yeah. you don't get them. So you have to be a high school dropout or start, start I just over. can't believe this was, I, I know that they closed in 2015, right? Carl Brook. This one, but by the way, it's a whole nother facility Okay, because I know there's, so, I don't okay, know, we'll get to I don't that. know. Okay, I just read yeah. that because I was like, wait, how can this place still, is this place still running? Is this, you know. This one's not, but there are hundreds. Oh, let's say so, in quotes, boarding therapeutic schools, which yeah, are really sound like youth yeah. prisons. Yeah. So I guess I'm like, I think I went off on a tangent. So it's okay. Um, and, but from that, I think that was the hardest part to write was taking accountability, whether I was forced or not having to look at how after the fact, how other people's actions and words affected me even to this day. Okay. But then having to look at what role did I play and who they became after the school. And I know I was forced. So by no means do I blame myself for oh, yeah. anyone's outcome. But I'm an empath. So I, at the same time, fully recognize that when you tell someone they're a whore or a, or a mistake or a whatever it was they made you say, mm -hmm. that sticks with someone. Like, think I can still remember, you know, kids never forget when they're bullied, ever. Right. As an adult, you still remember it. Yeah. So whether someone was forced to say it to you or not, that doesn't mean that I ever forgot. So my lie really was worthless abuser. It's not like I made that up because I forgot what it was. You never forget those words. You, you know, I think that's a really good point that words are so powerful. It is true that the majority of uh, kids between 14 and 18 boys that do school shootings have been bullied and are normally autistic. So it's like they're undiagnosed, they're from broken families and usually don't have the income where they could even get diagnosed, but they've always been bullied, always. So people really need to, it, it's like it starts at home and here you are put in this place where they're making you guys bully each other. Yeah, it was peer-on-peer -peer attack therapy. And... I have seen serious ramifications for myself yeah. and for other classmates of what road that led them on. Right. Um, are there people that say the place helped them? Yes. And I am fully, I do oh. not try to silence those people. If you, I say this when someone tells me that school saved them or a school saved them. Somebody wrote me on Instagram once and has said to me, I really want to comment on your feed that my school helped me. But I'm scared that if I do, I'll get attacked by 
other survivors saying whatever they're going to say because they feel they were abused. And I said, if you were helped, like my heart is so warm for you because if somebody walked away from one of these schools, and I wasn't in the other school, so and I don't know. who knows? Know. Maybe the other school wasn't. But I, I said, I'm happy. Like, that dip, makes me different. happy for you. But yeah. I will never silence someone. You're allowed to have your beliefs. If you feel my school helped you, that is your, that is right. your opinion. We are all, stolen is only my opinion. I was not writing anybody else's opinion. That was my opinion. That being said, Everyone I speak to from that school who is in my life or feels the same way as I do. Like the outpour of messages that I don't even, thousands at this point of kids who are like, thank you, thousands. Thank you. Like, this is how I felt. Right. This is my experience. Like, I feel like I can share this with my family now. Like, I'm not comfortable talking about it, but I can give them this or or now I feel like I can write my own story or yeah. do my own podcast, whatever it is, whatever journey they want to take with their story. So, you know, you're never, when you expose something dark, it's never going to be everyone's behind you. That's just the reality. There's always going to be the people who, for whatever reason, are fighting against you or have different feelings and they're allowed to. My feelings yes, are- but I can't imagine anyone thinking it's a great idea for a young girl or boy or them to be kidnapped in the middle of the night at 15 years old. I mean, look, I agree with you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I just I'm, can't believe yeah. someone being like, that was a great experience for I, me. I agree with you, but I never want to tell another person that's how true. to feel well, about that's true. their experience. I'm just but saying, hearing would, it, I was like... Did I? Did it make me feel good? Did it traumatize me? Does it still traumatize yeah, me? Yeah. I, I have to remind myself it's real half the time. I'm like, that didn't happen. <laughs> I Well, I, I also... I, one of my questions was, have you forgiven your parents? And then when I was doing research, I said, oh my God, she has. How, how? Because I don't think I could. Well, here's the thing. I hadn't for many years. Okay. Um, But that was also because I just was refusing to think about it. I was refusing to talk about it. I just, it was part of me, but it was not because I wrote it out of my life completely. Mm-hmm. Um. I think at a certain point in my life, not I think, at a certain point in my life, I didn't even acknowledge the fact I'd been there at all. That well, meant- Probably survival mode. You're just- Yeah, full fucking, survival yeah. mode, just detached. I'm I'm the queen of detachment if I need to be. I what think sign any, are you? I I'm a Scorpio. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't find, like, you know, I, I knew your age, but I'm, and I'm never someone to look up someone's favorite, but I, I said to myself, I don't think in a, I'm an Aquarius. And I was like, I don't think an Aquarius would have made it. And I was like, what <laughs> sign is she? And that makes total sense. Yeah, I'm a Scorpio. Yes. But, very strong. Love or hate. There's yeah. no in between with yeah. Scorpions. Yeah. So I'm definitely a Scorpion. And I'm, <laughs> I don't know my rising and my this right, and my but that, that. But I'm like, I'm, I think I must be like all Scorpio. <laughs> no, but I mean, I love, I, I prefer Scor- Scorpion women to men, but two of my best girlfriends are Scorpions. And it's just, you always know where you stand with them. They're very passionate and it's very, you know, there's no gray area Yeah, I found. So that was just, I was so curious and I couldn't find it. Well, and I was Scorp- like, wait, what sign is she? I don't know. I'm like, I don't know where scorpions stand with forgiveness. But for me, for many years, I didn't just hate my parents. I hated everyone. Anyone who I think went, they're stubborn. Anyone who went, like anyone who remi- was going to remind me of what I went through, Okay, I wanted nothing to do with. For no other reason than it was if I look at it now, at the moment, I wasn't, I was not, not understanding this, but looking back, it, anything that was reminding me of what I had been through, I couldn't have in my life. It was, 
the only way to survive at a certain point in my life was to not have any reminders because I was drinking and taking drugs and that was what I was doing to forget and that was how I stayed alive and that was how I detached and existed. When I started writing the actual book, not the proposal, mm -hmm. not when I started writing the actual book and understanding just how twisted the whole thing was, all the lies, all the manipulation. When I started fully understanding just what everyone had been through, mm. you realize everyone was lied to. It's just, it just, it was like this weight lifted off my shoulder. I cannot explain it. It was just this moment of where I was like, okay, like I don't need to be mad anymore. Like I got it out. My story's out there. I understand my story. I understand what we've all been through. And I can move on with my life. The other reason I felt like I had to write it because I don't think I was going to believe it or accept it either or until it was out there and there was no pulling it back. Do you okay. know what I mean? Yeah. The whole world you wanted, knows. You kind of I wanted know. your, you wanted, not even kind of, you wanted your evidence. Yeah, it in a book, showed documented. me that I... Not that I wasn't crazy. I knew it wasn't. But it's so twisted. Like, I needed to understand it. Yeah. And I couldn't. It was just so much. But when I wrote it down and mapped it out and researched it and did all the work that I did, right. I finally understood that my feelings all these years were valid, that who I became as a result after was valid. I wasn't some damaged, fucked up, whatever. I was misunderstood, but right. what happened was I was misdiagnosed or just not diagnosed at all. It doesn't sound like diagnosed at all. Yeah, I wasn't diagnosed. I was, I was diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder yeah, by just, an educational consultant. But I don't know. It's just one, it was just, I guess, I, I, I don't know if I even answered your question, but once that book was done, I was able to just release the rage for everyone. So once you finished uh, writing it or once it was re like released Once in July, I finished writing it, I had like- It'll be a year soon, right? Yeah, gonna, I had yeah. like a moment of like, I could breathe. Like mm -hmm. I, for the first time in my life, I talk about in the school, when I drove away from the school holding my breath, mm -hmm. like I felt mm -hmm. like I can't breathe so I leave this campus. But I don't think I really started breathing wow. until I wrote this book. Interesting. Um, but when the book came out, that was like a whole different monster of like, whew, like that. Oh, I'm sure. That was everyone whole, like, you that probably was, felt very exposed. That was a dark. I had like a couple weeks where my friend was like, my girlfriend I was just telling you about, yes. was like, you are coming to stay at my house because I was not getting out of bed. I was so depressed because. Were you I, in LA then? I was in LA. I had just left Nashville. Mm -hmm. and I was getting bullied. So I had half the people, not half, I had, I don't bullied know. Bullied online about Bullied the online. Book? I had a lot of people who were so grateful I wrote it. I had parents caught, like literally writing me that they were going to take their kid to a school, that they had hired transports, and my book was the reason they didn't send their school. So I had that happening, and that's why I wrote the book. Wow. Some of the kids I actually got. I just got chills. You mean... So people are still doing this today. Yeah, some of the kids, one of the kids I actually got to meet. Um, wow. well, and what was the reasoning behind, the, I guess my because question too. Because it's the only thing they think, like, I know no, your dad because, was in, in um, was serving in Iraq, right? As a doctor. My dad went to Desert Storm, but I asked a parent recently. Okay. How did this come about? Because they didn't send their kid. They ended up not. They spoke to me. They read my book and canceled the transports immediately. And I sat down with them and their kid. 
Um, and I said, I'm just trying to understand because I've always wondered this. And I wanted to hear it from not just my own parents. Why? And he was like, Elizabeth, they don't give you any other options. Like even if you send your kid to a rehab, right? The, somehow all these places are intertwined together. And that is the only place they tell you your kid will survive. If you don't send your kid down the troubled teen industry, they're going to die. That's basically what they say. They're not but who the is world. they? The, whoever the doctors are, the therapists are, whoever they're speaking to. Okay. They don't give them like three options. Like, well, you could send your kid here, here, here. Mm -hmm. They only give you the option of the troubled teen industry. Mm -hmm. So why are kids getting sent there today? I mean, I would like to say, I think that's very irresponsible therapists. Well, that's, the, it is. A hundred percent. It makes, I don't. That's why I, that. I, one of the things I did after my book came out is, so when my book came out, when I was, I told you I was really depressed and I was helping people, but at the same time, there were people yes. mad so this for was various last reasons. July. Last July. What I realized was, Everyone's feelings are a result of exactly when you asked what it took to forgive mm -hmm. people. For me, it was understanding my own story. So I had to then understand that everyone having feelings, it was the same journey I had where they that, still needed but, to that, understand their own life. But how was that for how was that helpful for forgiving your parents? Well, because at that point I took accountability for the fact that I was misbehaving in various ways. What not? Does it? Do I wish they hadn't sent me to that place? Yes, but I also know it's not like they were given many other options. At also at the okay. time, books like mine didn't exist. There was no iPhones. There weren't blogs and Reddit. If you Google these schools now, it's like a, it's everywhere. Right, it's really right. hard to miss. These schools are abusive now. I know, but you're acting like you're like. In your 60s or something. I well, mean, like, no, you know, but they, at they the knew time, enough. They knew, maybe they didn't, maybe they didn't know about that school, but I don't know. I guess, I mean, I really admire that, that you're able to for, I, to forgive someone who, that that's how they, but I guess if that's how the, all they knew and they wanted to help, not that they, I guess they didn't have bad intentions. No, they didn't have bad intentions, but here's the other thing I realized from the journey of having people have different feelings towards me, which is fine. You know what? It means that I've put something out there that's making people feel something. Oh, that's, which, that's the best. That which means you're I, doing great work. When I people wanted are the book to make people feel things because these schools should make you feel things. I can't believe they're still in existence. Yeah. So one of the things that I wanted to do when it came out was find resources for people to mm -hmm. who have kids that were like me or like you or like, you know, whoever. That I feel like the, your dad, if I was your father's daughter, you'd have been like, we're going on a boat and I'm just going to throw Katie into the ocean. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I wanted to find places, resources for parents that come to, like for all these parents that come to me or, right. you know, I have friends be like, my friend's thinking about sending their kid away. Like, it's not, you know, it's not my business, but I have to say something. Right. So I found places like the Child Mind Institute in New okay. York. Oh, yeah. I saw that you did um, that little video for them. And that yeah. sounds like that looks like a great place. So is that in New York City or is that's it outside in New, of New York? York and Palo Alto? OK. And so they treat oppositional defiance disorder. They treat learning disabilities. They treat eating disorders. They treat kids on the spectrum. They treat all of it. Um, 
But the difference between where I went and what the Child Mind Institute does is where I went isolates the child from their family and it tears you down. It sounds like you were in like Navy you. SEALs training. Yeah. You said you could ring a bell and then oh, you yeah. would ring the bell. Uh, the Navy thought... SEAL training always really, really stuck with me. So the Child Mind Institute is the opposite. The Child Mind Institute works with the whole family. Oh, and that's they, great. They build off, your, even if you're a troubled child, you still have strengths. Like I was still... An athlete. I don't know what strengths they would have chosen to build off of, but well, it's not. I reading the book, I was like, she's not even that bad of a kid. But that's why I mean, you're an honor student. Yeah. Athlete. So like, I don't. Real, uh, a real therapeutic program mm -hmm. would pick, find your strengths and build off those. They wouldn't find your two weaknesses and destroy you for two years straight yeah. for the two things you were doing wrong versus the five things you're doing right. So yeah. I think real, true treatment, if you'd like to call it that, is something that includes the whole family, that doesn't isolate the child, that doesn't mm. keep the child from talking to their parents or talking to people they trust. And the child should have a say in who they trust, by the way. Um, and it yeah. should build off their strengths. And it should be people who are listening and two parties should be taking accountability. I asked the Child Mind Institute, a doctor there, how do you treat oppositional defiance disorder? Mm -hmm. They didn't know. They hadn't read my book yet, the doctor. I was just like, oh. they didn't know anything. Was I just this said. recently, this year? Yeah, this is this okay. year. I just wanted to know what their treatment for it would be. But oh. I didn't want an opinion yeah. based on. want to like taint their opinion, like their answer. Their answer was we would start by talking to the parents about what changes they need to make. Because if a child is acting out at oh, yes. 8, 9, 13 years old, yes. there's something wrong in that home that needs to be addressed. It doesn't necessarily mean it's some catastrophic Thing where we need, you know, where you need to be very worried. It could be minor, like maybe they, yeah, the no, child absolutely. needs to talk about how they feel like their parents work too much. And obviously the parent can't work less if they need to make money, but it's sometimes it's about vocalizing things. Yeah. So the difference. That's, well, just to interject quickly, the, they've found in the past three years that if the parents go on the medication that normally you would give a child, it helps the child. <laughs> It's like, I mean, it's, 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 you laugh, right? But I mean, they, my, um, my psychiatrist specializes in adolescent psychiatry and he was, he's telling me this. I thought, wow, that makes sense, right? Because if you have some, an anxious mom, an anxious dad, an anxious... and then the kids are anxious yeah. and then they're being, and then everybody's having anxiety and like, it just is a domino effect. Yeah. Typically speaking, if a child is angry, there's a parent that's angry. If a yep. child is anxious, yep. there's a parent that's anxious. Yeah. You know, so where I went to school, nothing was the parents' fault. And we had to take accountability for our anger and our drug use and our being a whore and whatever they decided we were. And it was only our faults. But well, you guys were all like still kids. I mean, you're still in kids. The real, in real treatment, years old. we look at the big picture yeah. and it's like, okay, well, who else around you is angry? Where mm -hmm. are you learning that yelling is a way to communicate? Because mm -hmm. as a child, we're, we learn things by watching other people. Mm -hmm. You know, if someone's like constantly anxious, like a child's going to think that's normal. My, my big thing is now is just helping people, I guess, like you, I want to normalize the conversation on mental health and I want to give parents pathways to help their kids have a better chance right. of succeeding. Yeah, I mean, I think also people underestimate the job of parenting. Oh, and that sure. is not a, I'm not trying to talk about your parents. I'm oh, just no. saying, I think a lot of people are like, they think it's like getting a dog or something, having a child. And it's not. Well, here's I would the encourage thing. everybody to stop having kids unless you really are ready for them. You know, 
I yeah, do, honestly, I, like I might not have been like a raging drunk addict at that point in my life, but I was not. An easy, I was not an easy kid, though. I was very angry and whatever. So yes, but there's a lot of those. Like I wasn't. An, I was an angel till I was two. My mom said, and then I like never shut up. <laughs> like I just was like a like Tasmanian devil. After I that. think I became mean at like eight. Yeah. So I everyone was, has like their you know sort of pathway into, you know, their child hellish behavior. I have friends whose daughters are nearing that age where they're like, I don't get it. My daughter is just so like all the time. And I'm like, well, I was like that. I was like, weren't you? I mean, I'm like, I see you now. You're pretty fiery and spicy. I'm like, where do you think she's learning this? No, I know. I know. It's all the hormones. They're like, I know. It's like, she's me. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, she's you. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yes, she's wearing those booty shorts because that's what you wore. But like, I think... I don't, I think, I guess it's that people should not look for the easy solution. I think parents where I'm sure it's maybe people not wanting to, again, I don't want to be attacking your family, but it's just where it's like someone, I think it's, it's easier to send someone off somewhere than really deal with the problem at home. Maybe they feel like they can't, they can't, they're not equipped. Well, that, but I also feel like, Mental health 15 years ago was not a conversation. Oh, yes. Yes. Or Absolutely. Not, or not where I came from, at least, and especially not in the South. And depression, when I was 14 years old, let's say, even 15, I didn't know what, I, I don't think I'd ever heard the word mental health. Yeah. I don't think I'd ever heard the word depression. I don't think I knew any of it existed. It would be hard to find a kid today at least where, you know, in the cities I've been in lately, that doesn't know the word mental health, that doesn't know the word depression, that doesn't understand this. So 15, and this is more than 15 years ago now, 15 years ago, there weren't, this wasn't a big conversation. And back then I, there really weren't a lot of options. Places like the Child Mind Institute were being built. Research, you know, so I think it's a combination of that. Like today it breaks my heart that these places exist because the conversation is big enough where there should be more pathways to help people. Like Mm -hmm. this is a loud enough conversation and we've seen time and time again and athletes and just all the different things that we see in the news that break your heart on a daily basis or just Simone Biles or whoever it is being like, I'm not perfect. Like I need a break. I struggle with depression just because I want a gold today doesn't mean tomorrow that that there's really no excuse that we aren't finding alternative ways to help kids and not just kids, young adults and teens and you know. No, it's true. People, I mean, I grew up in the eighties where it's like, forget it. I, I kept my therapy a secret. The East coast is, the East coast is way more buttoned up about therapy than the West coast. Yeah. Because out here it's like, everyone goes to rehab. Everyone's in therapy. But I think now. Today, now. But like, I feel like people. But not 15 years ago. No. Yeah. But I feel like now people don't brag about seeing a therapist, but now it's like funny. Like everyone sees a therapist. Yeah. Whether, I don't know. Well, especially post COVID. Yeah. So, that's like, that wasn't normal though. When I was going to these schools, like seeing a therapist, I don't even think I knew what a therapist was before I got sent it's away. It's so interesting because your father was or is a doctor. Yeah. 
So it's interesting that they didn't think, but you did go to that one woman. Right? That was an the, educational consultant, though. Oh, I thought that was sort of like a play on words. It wasn't a Oh, no, counselor. no, that was her real job. She oh. was an educational consultant. Oh, I thought you were like joking. I was like, this is hilarious that she's showing her the ink blots. Oh, no, I remember no. I had to go to a therapist where they did that. Maybe she was a... Like undercover therapist. An undercover therapist. She was my educational consultant. That was her actual title. Okay, okay. Maybe yeah. of like what class to put? I don't know. That's wild. She, her job was to decide what school would be the best fit for me. Okay. Or what path, whether that was going to be Episcopal, the school I first looked at, or right. a therapeutic boarding school, or maybe a lockdown. Like I, you know, I wasn't privy to that conversation. I did find her diagnosis 15 years later where she diagnosed me with oppositional defiance disorder. But... Her job was to find the school that was the best fit for me. That being said, she was the mother of the headmaster of my school. So, you oh, know, gosh. it's a little bit of a conflict of interest here for why I would end up at her son's school. Yeah. And, you know, so that's a whole different can of worms. That woman, is, you know, you I have, have a hard have, time forgiving her, but it's have okay. Have you seen or confronted any of the sort of main characters in your book in real life? No. Like her or well, she like... passed away. Um, oh, okay. Because I did look into where people are. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd be um, curious. She passed away. And the others, I feel like I'm, I have no idea. It's not like the main events have come to me. Right. Uh, I feel like they know where I stand. Yes. Um, I, I can't imagine any of them would reach out to me, but... You know, I don't know. They haven't tried. But no, I have not tried to confront them. This book being out in the world is me. Yeah. Making... Or not even confront, just, I don't know. To... I think that once I wrote the book, I didn't need to anymore. Yeah. If they want to know how I feel, they'll read the book. If they don't care, which, by the way, very possible they don't because they did yeah. work there, then they don't. Then they right. won't read it. But if I were them, the, the curiosity would kill me and I would just oh, read I'd it. be reading it like the day it came out. Yes. Yeah, so... What was your family's reaction to the book? Your parents and They were actually siblings. really proud that I wrote the book. That's great. I sort of felt like when I was reading your interviews around when you released the book in July, I was, I could just sort of tell in the way. And then when you said, oh, I have forgiven them. And I was like, that's great. Happy that the family is like at peace. Because I, yeah, I'm sure I that was really hard to get there. Like you said earlier. I was nervous to be like, hey, I'm writing a book. And I'm sure they were... They when I initially told them, I was like, "Oh God, they're going to be so mad." I didn't know. I mean, what year did you tell them when the when you started the treatment? Or no, well, I, I told guess them, lifeboat. I told them, well, lifeboat, but that was such like you know, like a small little blip. Okay, like you know, it was like right, and I didn't mention it to them again until I had a book deal in place because I I wasn't going to have some big conversation unless it was a real thing. I get it. I'm the same way. I don't want to tell I, people something I'm, until I know it's happening. I'm superstitious. Me too. Oh, yeah. So. No, I am too. Yeah. I didn't know what they were going to feel, but I'm sure they were nervous to see the contents of the book. Right. Right. Um, they, But they never, you know, they were supportive when I told them and they never took their fears. They never let me see their fears. That's good. Um, and then they read the book and were really proud and really supportive. But were they probably like <laughs> secretly like, oh, my that God. Must have been, I mean, I started crying when I read that your dad was like, you know, like mouthed yeah. that to you. Like, I'm sure I'm sure, you know, again, I wasn't there when they read it. I sent them obviously very early copies. They you did. They had the book before. But they didn't give you any notes or anything. Anyone from your. No, 
know, but if you think about it, they couldn't. They weren't at the school. So, so no, I meant of them in the beginning. Oh, of the well, book. I mean, it was so matter of fact. It was what it was. Right, just factual. It was, and it was, you know, but, and the thing is, is the reason I felt okay was because I took so much accountability for my own behavior as well. It's not like, it was very yes. important to me that the beginning was not just me blaming my parents. No. That I very accurately portrayed my behavior from the car wreck to whatever it mm-hmm. was. I'm not proud of the fact that I did any of that. But I felt okay with everything in the book because I went as hard on myself as I did on any other person in the book. Yes. Yeah, no, no, I think that's fair. I mean, I was laughing when you told the cop that you Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so I, you know, I was okay with it because I was like, you know what? I took as many shots at myself as I did at, at even the staff at the school. It was important to me that I admit all my wrongdoings because if you blame... story, too. If you blame shift, then no one listens to you. Yeah, I mean, I think also... Listen, a lot of people try to write books that no one reads or cares about. And like, I think your book, it's, you start to read and it's just like you're on the roller coaster ride and it keeps going. It's not this like. It's like never ending. You're like, it's like a ride from hell. No, but I mean, (laughs) it's, I mean, but I could relate to a lot of it. And it's, it's interesting just hearing someone's um, take on, and that you remembered all this stuff. You know, and that you were saying you had letters and all these things that you kind of were But things like the kidnapping. I mean, you just, as much as you want to forget that, you can't can't forget that. I'm sure you couldn't. I remember it so well. Like I Still still, to this day. I remember I was wearing limited two pajama pants, like powder blue with like little pictures all over them. That was the the outfit I described. I don't think I put limited two in the book, but... The match, like the the striped wall. The major... That the like extra large tennis t- camp T-shirt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was real. And my dad, because he's my dad and like, you know, whatever. So, you know, they gave me shoes on the road and, you know, most people would give like flip-flops or like sneakers. He gave like, you know, like Wilson tennis shoes, like the yeah, big yeah, tennis Yeah, 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 yeah. He gave like the big like Wilson like shoes I wear to tennis camp to the escort. Oh, so they wear. gave you the shoes to wear? To wear in the bathroom. Okay, okay. They take them and they don't give them, free, but when you go to the bathroom, obviously you're wearing shoes. And he gave them like those like tennis camp. Like I remember everything. Yeah. You just, that kind of stuff. It's like, even if you bury it down and kind of forget you went there, you still, it's there. Right. Like how do, you, how do you forget the time you were kidnapped? No, I thought maybe at one point you were gonna, I don't want to give away the book, but at one point when you went to the bathroom, I was like, oh, she's gonna get away. She's if gonna- there was any way I could get away, trust me, I would have tried. Well, but it sounds like you at least didn't put that b- blame on yourself of, oh, I should have tried to get away. Because it's like, well, I, I did go try there. when my parents, you know, when they tried to jump out of the car and the police got right. involved, it's the whole situation. So the school that, I, mean, I, hate, I hate even calling them that. I mean, you know, the documentary that Paris Hilton did mm-hmm. and then all of that that's come out. I don't, I can't think of the name of what her school was, but I think Provo. it was. Okay. That is still in existence or mm-hmm. that's. I mean, to my best knowledge, the last time I checked, which was pretty recent. Yeah, it's still that's going. what I thought. And then I said, well, maybe after the documentary. Okay. It's really hard because nobody has proof. Like I, oh, wrote, okay. you know, I didn't have an iPhone there. It's not like I was recording things. Like I don't have like video footage. It's also a statute of limitations. If I wanted to file a police report, mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do. It's, it was too many years ago. Is there statute of limitations yeah. on, okay, for, abuse? 
Yeah. I mean, in, in our case, there is. Uh, maybe wow. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't want to speak. But, well, no, it's probably state to state. But to have like a class action lawsuit or any lawsuit, I couldn't have been a part of it. Towards the end, you 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 list seven, I think it's like seven items. Disclosures. Uh, or No, there's seven items when you're talking about, well, I could kill myself. Oh, yeah. The ways to commit suicide. Yes. And I, you know, I know this is a... a touchy subject for some people but you said didn't know where to find a rope and all I had were J Crew ribbon belts that hardly seemed strong enough I just thought I could just see you and then going through the toothpaste and then going through the razors and all the set like I don't can't remember all the things that you mentioned the lake the lake yes the lake drowning um yeah so I with that chapter, I was like, well, like, because it's a dark chapter. It is. The reality is Maybe like, that's why I related to that. I was well, like, this, it, I was like, I'm relating to this chapter. The fact that it was so absurd that like ribbon belts were what I had. Like, of course, that's Because funny. I had that belt. Yeah. I'm like, it's ridiculous that I even had those. But <laughs> that chapter was like very real. Meaning right. like, I really wanted to die. Mm-hmm. Because anything was better than staying there. But you have a great... I don't think I put it here, but it's highlighted in my book at home. There's a great, I think it's after that chapter where you say, I realized I didn't want to die. I just wanted to change my life. Yeah. I think that's really important. Because many people have to realize, you know, there's always tomorrow. And you may not, you may want to like end your situation, not your life. Yeah. So, but in the moments when I would first start thinking Mm -hmm. about it, though, I really did contemplate mm-hmm. death. Well, you and, had tried before. Yeah, and I had the, tried before. When, and I had 15 been with the pills. very okay with it. Right. So, but I also realized that I wanted to live. I, Like you said, I just mm-hmm. couldn't live the way I was living. So when I- What put, made you realize that? Because I'm a fighter. It's like you said, I'm a scorpion. scorpion like, yeah. I'm just a fighter. The and scorpion if, who goes, you know, who gets on the- turtles back like says I, I won't sting you yeah like i <laughs> do not give up right i will just like you knock me down and i'm gonna f- come around another right, side right, like right. i don't i i'm relentless like people are like you should be a car salesman you should be a lawyer like oh my god <laughs> but just because i'm relentless right. like i will stop at nothing but that's good to understand good something writer. yeah to understand something to get through something to accomplish something um right. So when was that? Because that is the that's more sort of near your end of your time at Carlbrook. Where the seven things, right? I went through the workshop Animus, which yes, was the, the workshop that was all about living or dying. Yes, where and you witnessed your own funeral, where I attended my own funeral and which had to write so my bizarre. and wrote my own obituary. That workshop was really hard on my psyche. It sounds horrific. And when someone in the class was like, this was great, calling you negative. Yeah, I wanted to die after that. I was so, I found letters that I was writing because when alumni graduated, we were allowed to write alumni. I mean, they were still screened, the letters, but like I wrote somebody a letter and I found their response being like, it sucks, you're on a post-animus program and like, I'm so sorry, like you're in, the, I, I wrote them like how dark the place was and they responded to me being like. What does animus mean for people that? It's about life. Okay. The whole workshop was about the desire to live, like choosing 
life over death because the way they believe that the this way sounds we like were, the worst thing for mental health. Yeah, the like, way we were living so scary was like a, a one way ticket to death. That's what the, the staff believed. Um, so yeah, after that workshop, the idea of death became like a very real option because that experience was I couldn't keep living in that. Mm-hmm. And I realized I had a moment in the school where I was like, the only way to get out is to like go fucking through it. Mm-hmm. Like I got to stop fighting it. I have to stop resisting. Because every time you resist, you end up in isolation. Every time you resist something, it makes it harder. So I was like, I just need to go through this right. and get out. And at the time, I wasn't thinking about the ramifications this school was going to have on me after the fact. I was just like, I need to survive. And if I can survive today, then tomorrow I'll wake up and worry about surviving tomorrow. Mm -hmm. But each day it was like, okay, I'm just going to, it was like chess, constantly like playing chess. That's a good way to think about mental health where take it day by day and don't, I think when, I know when I'm having a really bad manic depressive episode, you have to just take it day by day. You don't start thinking in a month, in a year or the past and just to even hour by hour, you know, minute by minute. It's like, you know, when you have a busy schedule in a day, Mm -hmm. you take it one tree at a time, like Mm -hmm. one item at a time. So when I I learned like one day at a time, Mm -hmm. one task at a time, like get through this workshop, don't think about the next one, just get through this day in isolation, this work, you know, don't just. Right. And like each time you get through it, then you're like, okay, like I accomplished something today. I mean, the task was literally just surviving my own hell. What was the hardest thing? I mean, probably many when when you left. I mean, was it like getting out of jail where you're like, don't know what, you know? I didn't know. I just, I was so traumatized. I didn't know what to do with myself. Also, they teach you like, you know, and, and you're taught to like yell at people, abuse people, like screaming is normal and putting yourself in isolation, like going into isolation for a month and not talking to anyone is normal. It's there. like the worst thing anyone could do that's having a mental health crisis. It was like a culture shock. I yeah. just didn't know how to live. And then I was dealing with the trauma of everything I'd been through. But it's amazing what the human body and mind will do when it's forced to. Because it's so every, yeah. you know, thousands upon thousands of kids have survived these schools. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of them survived after Right. Or even if they survived, like their lives are not where they wanted them to be, you know, yeah. or they have, or they went to rehab three more times or whatever it was. But when you're in it, it's amazing what the human mind and body can do. But then you just have to seek the proper treatment after the fact. So you found obviously a good therapist after I did find a therapist. My acting coach required me to go see a therapist. Wow, that's good. Yeah, it was her that she was like, I just can't and good conscious. Because so much of what you're working on, like the first monologue I did was about a miscarriage. And I had just had a miscarriage and I was like sobbing. So much of it is so personal. And even though it's somebody, you know, if you write a script, typically speaking, characters in movies and shows have are complicated and maybe they have an, yeah. al- you know, an alcohol issue or a drug yeah. problem or they're going through something. That's mm-hmm. what makes the story what it is, like adversity. Yeah. So she's like, I can't coach you to go through all this trauma that these characters no. go through knowing that this you've treated your own trauma. Coach. Yeah, so that is, that's very, that's, like, that's kudos why, to her. That's why I found a, a therapist. Well, she actually referred me to a therapist. Right. And they, and they helped you. 
Yeah, I literally just, I mean, I didn't see them today, but I just saw them. I go to therapy twice a week, but that's me. But I think you have to think of it almost like you would not just never go to the dentist. You know, like you always want to check in and know your triggers or when things are kind of not going well. And sometimes it's not easy for people to know that. Yeah, but if it's not a therapist, here's the other thing, which Friend, you know, like you said, therapy can be expensive. So, oh, absolutely. So, so then that's why I'm always like mm-hmm. a guidance counselor. If you're a kid, maybe absolutely. maybe you don't trust your parents. There are situations where or your therapist or your parents may recommend a therapist that is not good for you, but it's their friend. Like you know, yeah, so, similar so things. A guidance counselor, whoever mm-hmm. it is, I think it's just about, especially for kids, mm-hmm. talking to someone you trust. Yeah. And there are a lot of great therapy apps. Sesh, I know, is one that's great. It's like, I think it's like $35 a month. They have great sessions. And yeah, that's what I mean. Mental health is becoming more and more accessible. It's very trendy. Yeah, it's very trendy. <laughs> and I'm so happy because it was not when I needed it. <laughs> um, so really, my last question is, was there anything that happened during that time in your life that you left out of the book that you want to share or not? It could be even it could be even uh, something positive, you know, positive that you learned. Or I'm like, well, I left so much about what happened to me after, like you know, the drugs and the the road I went on. But that was just because there weren't pages left in the book, Um, and that was also because I, at some point in my life, I have started mapping out a second book. I oh great, I'm doing. Well, I mean, I'm knocking on wood yes. and you never know, but I intend on doing a second book about the aftermath, who I became as a result of all the abuse. I think people would like, that would be a great also Yeah, TV and show. I don't think people- <laughs> I'm t- saying it's a great uh, show, yeah, I'm like, HBO. I don't, I don't think people talk enough about people- Maybe it's worse when you're out, you know? It I is mean, worse. It's like when people are working, oh, when they come I, out of jail, they don't know what I, to do. I thought I almost died before that school. I almost died after yeah, that school. Because you didn't have the tools to- to be an adult. No, the fact I'm alive post Carlbrook is a, people okay. are like, you have nine lives. Like it is crazy. It's a miracle. Um, so yeah, there's nothing that I left out because I was like holding back and I'm like, I'm like. But the second phase is coming in. The second book. phase okay. is coming at some point, but like, I don't know. You said I was like a Navy SEAL. I'll give you a fun fact. And I was a kid and also Top Gun just came out, which I'm obsessed with. I, I was laughing when they you talked about how you love all those films. I was thinking about that. Yeah. So I I went to Aviation Challenge Camp twice as a kid. Oh my and gosh. I didn't talk at length about this in the book. But Do you learn how to fly planes? Well, I mean, you fly like the mock little like video games and you like... Okay. You like, you know, I would have loved to have had like a whole thing in the book about it, but there's just no space. <laughs> but unfortunately, we didn't talk about good times at that school a lot. But yeah, I wait, you know, we learned how to like jump out of a he- fake helicopter into a lake and, you know, that's like, so cute. we're going on like fake military missions. So I'm like, that's like a side of me that I feel like didn't get to shine enough in the book. Maybe that's why you uh, helped you. But but to go along with that, I think when I say I'm a fighter, like quite literally, I used to go to camps as a kid that were about like being a fighter pilot and things like that. Yes, I never even know. Was was this in? It's called, it's it's the partner camp to space camp. The one thing that I wish there could have been more of in the book is like, positive things. But unfortunately, that didn't fit into the story. Yeah, but I think you, and someone said this in some interview I read, how you do weave in humor. And I think that's important. 
Because yeah, I think people I mean, get too serious. But you did it, I thought, in a very respectful way. Um, because I wanted we people, have to laugh or we will die, in my opinion, you know? so Yeah, and those chapters where you were like, you're writing about really dark stuff, and I don't mean to laugh. Like, I wanted people mm-hmm. to know they were reading something really sensitive, mm-hmm. but also laugh because... It helps people digest it. It's also absurd. Everything about that school is like, if you really look at it, it's crazy. You're like, are you fucking kidding me? You made them fight on an imaginary lifeboat? I, it's insane. Yeah, that's... Uh, so I, I hope that you laughed. I was like, if you didn't laugh, then... You have no sense of humor. Okay, so we always end the interview with five questions. Oh, Lord. I know, but they're quick. They're quick. Like, what do you do for a mental break? Like, if you just want to kind of turn off your mind... I box or I hike. Oh my God, you are on I the go. I love to box. Okay, okay. Uh, when is the last time you cried? Oh, probably five minutes before I came here. No, I'm just kidding. You know what? That's <laughs> me. I'm so I cry times. often and I'm not ashamed of it. Okay. And I, you know, it's fine. It's part of who I am. No, I cry all the time. Some people are like, oh God, when was it? Like two months ago? And I'm like, what? I'm like, yeah, like now? Yeah. <laughs> what are you currently reading? Oh, Besides I'm reading, your own book. <laughs> I'm reading, I think it's called a girl, The Girl in Cabin 10. I, I'm like oh, three okay. chapters in. I'm just starting it. So I, uh-huh. I'm like, can't speak to it yet. Okay. But my mother recommended it to me. Okay. What is the best and worst advice you've been given? Mm, the best advice I've ever been given is, well, the classic never, never give up. And if you're failing, fail harder because you need to do better. Like stand up and fail harder because until you fail, you're never going to win. Okay. Um, And I just, that is a quote and I did not say the quote appropriately, but that's the gist of the quote. That sounded like a quote to me. The worst advice I've ever been given is, my God, I mean, everything I ever heard at that school. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm like, it's. I, it's actually, I'm struggling to answer this question because I feel good. like I'm surrounded by so many people that enrich my life now that. Sometimes the worst advice can be the best advice. Like, oh, you'll never write a book. And then you went and wrote one. Yeah, like people definitely laughed in my face about the book. They're like, don't waste your time. That's you know, rude. Not like necessarily like that, but that was what <laughs> that was what their face said. Right, right. So yeah, that was probably the worst advice that I was ever been given to not you you literally just handed it to me to not try mm-hmm. because some it's like that the possibility of it happening was so small why bother and yeah so and i was given that advice by half of half half of hollywood <laughs> well i hope you don't see them anymore um and then lastly what instagram account do you find uplifting you know social media can be a real kind of downer or yeah. we can get really down on ourselves especially as women and is there an account you like I mean, it could literally be like I know. I'm like raccoons. Like no, I love raccoons. Okay, well, there, <laughs> some of the handles I don't know, but like I definitely love like the the funny animal accounts. I think it's called yes. like Dodo or something. Yes, yes, yes. And like you know the Good News Movement ones. Those are good. I right. love cabin accounts. I follow like cabins, okay. tiny houses. Really, I love like barn houses. My parents have one. Okay, like a barn that's a house. Like I follow all those, and they make me so happy. Okay. Uh, God, I'm like, I think there's a lot of Instagram accounts that make me happy. The, the Top Gun one makes me happy now. Oh my gosh. You're yeah. really into Top Gun. I know. I'm like, I don't know. I think animals is probably my answer. Like the funny animal videos. Where can our listeners find you? 
All um, your handles that we've just done on Instagram. <laughs> my handle on Instagram. Do I say my yeah, handle? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My handle is Elizabeth underscore LG. Um, I don't have Twitter or any of that. So okay. I guess Instagram is it. And I'm... Well, your no. book, people oh, can probably get. My book, it's available at all the local bookstores, obviously Amazon, Audio, Apple Books. My paperback comes out. Awesome. August 9th. So okay. there'll be a whole nother. You'll see still on my Instagram a lot then. All right. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Um, well, that is all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU, and we can be found on Apple and Spotify. And be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment, and tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better, How About You? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.